0: Tappers, what's up? It is the Tuesday edition of The Daily Tap for January 19th. Hope you're doing well. Sorry, this is a morning one. I've been, I was on a roll. I think that was like five. I was at like a six day streak of night podcasts um, and had them up for you guys ready to go for the retro daddies and the pat looses of the world. And then, I didn't get it today. I needed to re-recover, re, uh, return to homeostasis, if you will, after uh, quite a Saturday night, which I'll talk about actually at the tail end of the show. But before that, we're going to obviously kind of take a look at some of the big Packer-Buccaneer storylines, get ourselves sort of started, get that ball rolling in the right direction for the massive game between the Packers and the Buccaneers on Sunday then we'll talk about the Bucks and the Nets a little reaction from that game and then the Packer fans versus the Bars versus the COVID true doom and gloomers um, at the tail end of this show so I think we'll have a good show today I'm excited to talk a lot about a variety of topics here so let's get going with the Green Bay Packers So, Green Bay Packers and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, obviously you know, are playing on Sunday for the right to go to a Super Bowl. This is probably as confident as Packer fans have felt to go to a Super Bowl since 2010. And even in 2010, they were going on the road to play a Bears team. That was pretty good, and this is the first NFC Championship game at Lambeau Field since 2007, um, since the infamous Brett Favre interception game, where if your name wasn't Brett Favre, I'd bench your ass, is what apparently Mike McCarthy said at that during that game. But we don't we don't know if that's true. We don't know if that is actually factual, but. Anyways, that is the last time the Packers have hosted an NFC Championship game despite being there multiple times. This is the first time Aaron Rodgers has done it in his career. They have been waiting for this moment. There is a lot of pomp and circumstance around this game because of the two quarterbacks. And that is obviously the number one storyline. That is your, if it was TRL, that is your boy band, like no brainer number one, right? It is the Brady versus Rogers matchup. And we've talked about, Back in October, we talked about this game, who it meant more for. Did it mean more for Tom Brady or did it mean more for Aaron Rodgers? And I think where Mitch and I landed on was that it meant more for Tom Brady because at that point, you know, the Tampa thing was still new. Remember, Tampa Bay had just lost to Chicago, and it was really important that Tom Brady sort of proved that he had made the right decision. Also, remember at that time, New England had been still still there. Like, New England wasn't necessarily struggling. I think they were going through their COVID stuff at that time. So it wasn't like the Patriots were completely dead and buried at that point. I think Tom Brady has obviously proven himself you know, in spades and proven that he didn't need Bill Belichick and that he's able to do it on his own. And this is very similar, weirdly enough, to Joe, Joe Montana's first year in Kansas City. Joe Montana took Kansas City all the way to the championship game before losing to the Buffalo Bills. And they lost the Bills at home. And it's weird that Kansas City and Buffalo are on the other side of the coin. And you have a guy like Brady who's running a similar playbook to Montana. I think for Brady's legacy, he doesn't need a Super Bowl. In a lot of ways, Tom Brady is playing with house money. It just further cements that he's one of the best, the best winning quarterbacks in all of football, and that he is. There is no one greater than Tom Brady when it comes to postseason football, and that he is on a level above Montana, um, Terry Bradshaw, Steve Young. Uh, I'm trying to think of other names, the guys who've been successful in the postseason. I mean, Troy Aikman, I guess, would be another guy I'd throw in there. Jim Kelly, even though he didn't win a Super Bowl, I mean, Jim Kelly had a lot of postseason success. He just couldn't finish the deal. I mean, you get to four Super Bowls, as you know, as I've said on this podcast, it's fucking hard to get there. So it, that's that's playoff success, right? Like you've definitely had Elway too. Like Elway had a bunch of playoff success, but Tom Brady would be, is already head and shoulders above. But you add in, they did it not only with the Patriots, but he did with the, the Buccaneers. I think that's a big deal. It does mean more for Aaron Rodgers. There is no doubt in my mind that this is a bigger game for Aaron Rodgers. He'll be on Pat McAfee's show later today. And I'm sure he'll say like, look, like this is, Not to say it's just another game, but he's not gonna worry about his legacy. He's not gonna talk about that anything is gonna change if they make the Super Bowl or they don't make the Super Bowl. But it does matter for Aaron Rodgers to have another Super Bowl under his belt, whether they win or lose. That's something we can talk about in the two weeks leading up. But this game does matter for Aaron Rodgers. This game is of importance for the Packers quarterback and that he gets to another Super Bowl and you can at least put that as a step above Brett Favre in terms of Packer lore. You can put that as a step above in where he is legacy-wise. If he gets a second Super Bowl, again, that puts him in rarefied air and then starts moving him into that Montana and Brady conversation. And I do think that if Aaron Rodgers could even get a, you know, that's, I was about to say a third, and then I I cut myself off. I was like, nah, let's let's get the second one, and then we could talk about a third, but Regardless, like that does elevate Aaron Rodgers. It does make Aaron Rodgers sort of legacy look stronger because that's how we judge quarterbacks. Even though it is extremely difficult to get to a Super Bowl, the defense could be complete trash. And then that's the reason Aaron Rodgers doesn't get there despite throwing for like 400 yards. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here. But the fact of the matter is, is like it, it's more than just a quarterback, even though that's how we do it in, in the National Football League. It's fucking dumb, but that's, that's how, how people are graded out on. So Aaron Rodgers getting another one, I think will matter. And I do think if he doesn't, and if he struggles, more so if he struggles, if, if he plays well and it's just last guy with the football wins and it's Tom Brady, so be it. But if he struggles in this game, I I do think there will be people who say like, look, this is this kind of a thing, right? Like it's kind of that Aaron Rodgers has not been able to finish the deal and they only remember the last game. They don't, they forget about how great he's been all season and he has been, this has been as good of a season for Aaron Rodgers as there, as there has ever been. I mean, you could make a case that this might be Rodgers best season. And so for that to have it crumble all at the last game, people will forget about the past and just remember that one. And that would be really tough. That'd be a really tough pill to swallow. And there'd be a lot of conversation this off season. And I'd be curious to know where it would go. And people might say, well, you trade Aaron Rodgers now, you get him at the peak of, of his career. Now I think that'd be banana land to do unless you're trading for John Watson. Because like, look, even Jordan Love, I think Jordan Love has a good future with this team but I would not do that. I think that would be out of bounds for Green Bay to make some sort of drastic stop. But I also don't think you want to end up like the Saints and Drew Brees, which... We can talk about it another time. I, I do kind of want to get into that. Like, how do the Packers avoid being the New Orleans Saints? And I think they have a plan. But uh, it's not a podcast that I, I want to do at, during the season. I think it's actually a good off-season show. Other storylines to rip through here. Obviously, that's the biggest one. That That's the one that everybody talks about, that everybody wants to sort of make a bigger deal than it is. I, I literally have in my notes, Brady plus Rodgers, duh. The next one I have is the Green Bay Packers taking a page out of the Kansas City playbook. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, if you remember, it was actually maybe the Rams playbook. Maybe I should amend this to what the Rams did. The, the, the Los Angeles Rams, God, I, I don't know why I always want to call them St. Louis. I, I like Even writing, like last week, I was like, I want to call them St. Louis. I don't know what it is. I have no idea why that is so baked inside my brain. What the Los Angeles Rams did is they passed all over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They went crazy in the pass game. I think Jared Goff ended up throwing for 355 yards in that game. He threw the ball a bunch and they just exploited the Buccaneers secondary. Now, the Buccaneers secondary is young with guys like Carlton Davis, and Antoine Winfield Jr. and Sean Bunting Murphy. They're not bad, but they're also kind of unknown. Um, they're not necessarily elite level guys like you've seen with Jair Alexander or on the other side of the ball last week with Jalen Ramsey. And Patrick Mahomes was able to go crazy on these guys early in the game. And they went with an all out aerial assault. They went deep to Tyreek Hill a bunch of times and they just pushed the ball downfield at sort of a rapid tempo rate. I expect the Green Bay Packers to do something similar. I, I'm not, we'll talk about betting my team later this week, but I think you should bet a first touchdown prop for Marquez Valdez Scantling because. I think they're going to go with a deep ball early to MVS, and I and I think it's it's going to happen in the first five to 10 plays of this game. It might happen in the first five. I do think it's going to happen. Whether MVS catches the ball, that has remained to be seen. But I do think they're going to go deep. Remember, they did go deep with MVS early uh, in the first game. Now, this was before you know the Buccaneers secondary kind of got exposed. And if you think about the teams that they've played recently, none of them have had quarterbacks that have sort of been able to push the ball downfield. And green. Bay does have that unique advantage it really the Buccaneers have not faced that kind of quarterback since Mahomes like look at the quarterbacks that Tampa Bay has faced just given where they are in these where they are right now since that game they face Kirk Cousins they face Matt Ryan and Matt Ryan I believe had a good game they faced Matt Ryan twice I think Matt Ryan had pretty good games in both of those Matt Stafford and Tyler Taylor Heineke And Drew Brees, who has has just an absolute noodle arm. Yes, Matt Ryan in that first game that the Falcons nearly won threw for 356 yards and three touchdowns. The second game, Matt Ryan threw for 265 and two touchdowns. But in that first one, Matt Ryan absolutely tore it up. He had three 356 yards, he only averaged 7.3 yards per carry. So they really weren't long, but Calvin Ridley had a massive day, 10 catches, 163, and 14 targets. So that's to say, like, Green Bay can replicate that. Green Bay can replicate what the Kansas City Chiefs did. And that's, to me, maybe the storyline not being talked about enough is like, have we looked at what Tampa Bay has faced from a quarterback perspective? in the last five or six weeks as Tampa Bay has sort of, quote unquote, figured it out. Like, I know Matt Stafford is good, but Matt Stafford was a fucking corpse by the time they faced him. And the Lions team had quit on the season. They were like, we're done. We don't really give a shit. Matt Ryan, he's okay, but I'm not, but that Falcons team, again, was not at the level of like a playoff team. They, I mean, that's crazy to think about, right? They haven't faced a playoff team. Before the actual playoff started, they didn't face one playoff team. And then they faced a Washington team who was playing with a guy who was an XFL backup in the spring. And then they faced a team against the Saints that had a lifeless Drew Brees and didn't have Taysom Hill, which mattered more than I'd, I'd like to admit as someone who doesn't really like Taysom Hill. So are, are, are the Bucs kind of overrated? like is that defense a little bit overrated and that they haven't really faced a good offense since Kansas City and when they did face a good offense in Kansas City, it was a blowout until sort of the Chiefs, I would say kind of put a pump the brakes a little bit and didn't necessarily finish the way they should have. I, I kind of like, I'm not saying the Packers are gonna blow out Tampa Bay, but would you be surprised Like, would it shock you if they end up beating Tampa Bay by two scores? Maybe because of Tom Brady. And just that Tom Brady will kind of refuse to let his team get blown out. You you don't see Tom Brady lose by double digits often. I know you saw it against Tampa Bay, or I'm sorry, against uh, Tennessee earlier or last year, but it doesn't happen often when Brady loses. When Brady loses in the playoffs, it's usually down to the wire and it's typically like a shootout and it's just last guy with the ball wins. Other storylines that I have in my notebook, The Green Bay, can Green Bay get anything off going on the ground? So Packers obviously did not run the ball much against uh, Tampa Bay, partly due to the blowout. Matt LaFleur actually admitted after that game that they weren't balanced enough, that they needed to be more balanced and that he kind of threw out the running game. Now, Tampa has a very good run defense. They might get Vita Vey back. I talked about it on the blog today, but why I don't know if that's as much of a concern given how good the interior line has been for the Green Bay Packers. I mean, Vita Vey is obviously a space eater. He's a big dude, but... Corey Lindsley is an all-pro for a reason. Corey, Corey Lindsley didn't get to be an all-pro because he wasn't good. He's, he's a fucking good player, right? So they're gonna be able to move Vita Vey around, and I, I'm not necessarily as concerned with the with the, you know, the addition of v, Vey, but can it Green Bay actually move the ball with the, the good Tampa Bay defense with the guys like Devin White and and uh, Levante David who are just guys who can move side to side so well they're going to have to get creative like I don't know if they can do the 21 personnel runs that they were doing against the Rams where they were sort of running to the edges I think you're going to need to look at running up the middle or you're going to need to try to find ways to block off David and White and need to get your linemen to the second level it's going to be imperative for whether it's Ricky Wagner whether it's Elton Jenkins, whether it's Billy Turner, they're going to need to get to that second level with Devin White, and you're gonna to need to get helmet on helmet. You're gonna need help from your receivers. You're gonna need help from Big Dog. They're, you're just gonna to need to block well. You, that's that Point blank, that's what's gonna to need to happen, but you're gonna to need to have second level blocks and continue your blocks instead of just worrying about you know, the line of scrimmage, it's going to, what's going to matter more is what do you do on the edges? And also too, making sure you're not holding because that's, I mean, we saw that with Robert Tunyon where you just, you kind of tug on the guy and the refs get it every time. I feel, I saw it with Tunyon. I was like, oh, that's a hold. And you you can't do that. And I do worry that you could have more holding penalties, just given how good David and White are on terms of getting to the outside. They're really good players, so it, you know it's not not going to be easy to run the ball against these guys. And then for the defense, I think people have forgot that the Packers have were not that great defensively in Week Six, and that in Week Six they hadn't really made the adjustments that they have down the stretch. Now they still are dealing with the soft zone stuff, but they have, you know, kind of made the adjustments in the middle of the field with guys like Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage, and they've played really well. They were kind of quiet last week, but against the guys like Gronk, and if Antonio Brown is healthy or Chris Godwin, that you'll be able to kind of have that inside sort of sealed up. Scotty Miller, another guy to worry about in the, on the middle of the field. I'm not as concerned as I was back in week six because they have made those adjustments with Amos and Darnell Savage. Rashawn Gary has come on in a meaningful way. The Tampa left tackle and right tackle, Donovan Smith at the left tackle, I actually forget the right tackle's name at the moment, but they're not the best in terms, of, in terms of their outside rush. I think Zadarius Smith and Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith can get to the quarterback. I think they can cause some problems there. And I, if they can fl- fluster Brady, they're gonna be in a good spot. And we know that Tom Brady struggles with rushes up the middle. Kenny Clark is as good of an interior lineman as there is. And if Kenny Clark can make something happen, I know Ali Marpitt's a good left guard, but if... If Kenny Clark's making plays in the middle, that's going to really frustrate Tom Brady and that is going to make Brady ineffective. I'd also argue looking at the defenses that Brady has faced down the stretch here, There isn't a good defense among them. I mean, the Falcons are okay, but they're not that great. Lions are trash. Vikings, not very good. And remember, they only mustered 26 points against that Vikings team, who really the defense was suspect at best. And yeah, they were able to put some points on the Rams, but the Rams Rams frustrated them. And I would look at what the Rams and Chiefs did defensively, especially early on in that game and, and what, what they did to make it happen. And I think you can force Brady into some turnovers. Another question is is can you can you hide Kevin King? I think Tom Brady's gonna go to work on Kevin King. I don't know who's gonna go up against Kevin King, whether it be Godwin, whether it be Mike Evans, but I do think you gotta find ways to hide Kevin King. Does that mean playing Chandon Sullivan underneath and kind of working double teams? Does that mean sort of flaring out Darnell Savage when you have to? Does that mean you know chipping with a guy like Preston Smith if need be, if a guy comes in close? Kevin King has is, is been the weak link of this Packers team all season. And it hasn't improved. And I don't know if it's going to this week. And if you're like, hey, what's the one thing that worries you? It's that Chris Godwin or Mike Evans just completely eats when they're facing Kevin King. Lastly, the weather. Obviously, the weather has been made a big deal. I think it's probably too much of a deal. But I, we haven't seen a game at Lambeau for almost, what, 14 years down at this juncture of the season so of course the weather is going to be a big deal and Bruce Arians has already come out and said it's all mental I do think it's going to be a shell shock early on for Tampa and Tampa is going to be like wow it is fucking cold those first To about quarter and a half of of the game, they are going to be cold. And so that's why I think if you're gonna say, how does the weather become a storyline? If Green Bay jumps out to like a 10-0 or 14-0 lead, if they get out early on Tampa, that is due to the weather. It's due to like Tampa Bay, you know, kind of warming up to what Green Bay is, which I know warming up in 20 degree heat is not necessarily a... Thing you say, you don't necessarily say, "Oh, hey, I'm I'm warming up as I'm dealing with the the cold of the frozen tundra." But yeah, it's gonna be chilly, and the fact that you don't have as many fans, like it's not gonna be as insulated. What what I will say about Lambo when you're in a full house in Lambo is, I've argued sometimes it's not as cold as people like to make it out to be because you're kind of insulated, you're protected with all these fans. You're you're with Ron and Jim, you know, scrunched into the Lambeau Field bleachers and they're insulating you on both sides of you and you're actually okay. Now, because of the way they separated out because of COVID nineteen, they're not necessarily going to have that sort of insulation. And I wonder if that plays on the field. That might be a little bit too. I might have broke my brain there, but who knows? Like that, that could be a little bit. It could make it a little colder in Lambeau than it was. I guess you'd have to ask Aaron. That'd be an interesting question for McAfee to ask Rodgers today. Was it colder? than it usually is because they're the lack of lack of fans. I don't know. I, I, I'd i be fascinated to know that. One of the big J's, if you listen to this show, you can steal that question for Rogers on Wednesday. So that that's free. The next one will charge you. Obviously, this is gonna be a great game. I can't wait for it. We'll talk so much more about it as the week goes on. And this is only the beginning. And I, I think I can say for most Packer fans... Just wanted to get to Sunday. You could fast forward this entire week and get me straight to Sunday and get me ready to go for Packers Buccaneers. Moving on to basketball, the NBA had their Martin Luther King Day event that they typically do. They had games all day and the finale, the last two were the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks and the Lakers and the Warriors. Both games delivered. Uh, Both games went down to the wire. As someone who had the Lakers uh, minus eight and in a money line parlay, I was like, I went to bed early because I, as I said, I needed to kind of get back to homeostasis. And I'm like, well, they're up 11, fourth quarter. Maybe I don't get the spread, but I'm definitely gonna probably get the money line parlay. Let the dog out, looked at what happened, nothing. And it was like, went from having, you know, would have had a pretty even day or a pretty good day to like, meh but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the Bucks and the Nets and sort of our impressions from the game. I am not necessarily concerned about this one. I'm not necessarily, you know, hitting the alarm. I think there will be some who do, and but that's kind of their job. That's their job to be hot take artists. That's what they pay Kendrick Perkins to do. That's what they sometimes pay Stephen A. to do. I'm not freaking out that the Nets are head and shoulders above the Milwaukee Bucks. I, that's not it at all. I I was mildly surprised with how well the Nets have gelled in a short period of time. I know that James Harden has played in this system because they're running a similar system to what Mike D'Antoni did in Houston. So I'm not really surprised. And I'm not really surprised that Durant and Harden have that comfort right away I know they haven't played for years but those guys were teammates before you have to think there is a level of comfort there I almost wonder if Kyrie's gonna fuck this thing up because I look at this team right now and I'm like you know what like why do you even need Kyrie like wouldn't you why don't you just tell Kyrie to go be a shaman somewhere and, and fucking hang out in Brooklyn and like build a yoga studio or something and not come back and like just stay away because I look at this team and I'm like, this is a fucking good team. Like this team I actually like better than with Kyrie. Cause I think when you add Kyrie to the mix, you worry about if there's going to be enough possessions for everyone. And the, what really kept the bucks in this game were turnovers. And they were able to force some against Brooklyn and Brooklyn had a bunch of unforced errors as well. And the turnovers kept the bucks into this basketball game. And and i'm not to say like they the bucks didn't do it themselves you know every time it looked like brooklyn was going to kind of deliver the final punch the bucks came back with a counter and the bucks put themselves in position to steal this game. Now if they get an offensive rebound against James Harden after he misses a shot in the, in the last minute of the game, they may have won this. Now Durant gets the ball back and you knew it was going in. Like you just did. Like I've seen that too many times from Durant. Top of the key, not really contested. I'm like that's fucking going in and it well, it did. And then they run that corner play with or well, they get the ball, but they miss a miss a shot, and then get the ball back and run the corner play. Time should have been added. Officiating was suspect at best. Um, on on Monday, it was back to Giannis not getting star calls that Durant and Harden definitely did, and also the Nets just complain about everything. I mean, DeAndre Jordan would like just whack guys and get called for a foul, and he's like, "Why wow, I didn't do that?" It's like, come on, man. Like, and also too, for DeAndre Jordan to actually be productive was kind of disgusting. I didn't expect DeAndre Jordan to still have this in him. And if DeAndre Jordan does have this in him, then I actually think the Nets are a little bit of a better team. And maybe I under... I undervalued them because I didn't expect DeAndre Jordan to be this good. Now we'll see if he keeps it up. He might just have fresh legs and be playing well. We'll see how he looks come playoff time. And again, if Kyrie Irving makes a difference in the negative, I don't know if he makes a positive difference here. I don't know if that's a hot take or if if a lot of people feel that way, but I look at this right now and say I, it's still sort of TBD on what this Bucks nets matchup will be come Mar- May if they meet in the playoffs because it, it's just, A, you don't know about Kyrie. You don't know where this Bucks team, the Bucs team still has to gel. Like, I know that's kind of hard to believe and you're like, Charlie, we just saw what the Nets did, but I think I laid out a case about why Durant and Harden are already comfortable and why Harden's already comfortable in this system. Drew Holiday still is learning what Mike Budenholzer wants to do. Bryn Forbes is still learning what Mike for Mike uh, Budenholzer, not Mike Forbes, it's not his dad, what Mike Budenholzer wants to do. I mean, Bryn Forbes had way too many long twos in this game. And I think part of that was due to the fact that Greg Popovich really didn't like the three-point shot. And so in Popovich's system, long twos were accepted. In Mike Budenholzer's system, it's not. And I think Mike Budenholzer will look at the tape and say to Bryn, like, hey, Bryn, you got to step that back. You got, I don't mind you shooting the ball. I don't mind you running off screens, but you need to run off screens to the three-point line. You can't run off screens to have these long twos. And if you're going to go at the long two, make a move and get to the lane. Don't just settle for something in the mid-range. You're not Chris Middleton, because he isn't. He he bricked too much. And yeah, the Bucks bench was bad. And I know the Bucks bench isn't going to be relied on as much, but you at least need them to be competent. And the fact that Bobby Portis didn't really have that great of a game. The fact that DJ Augustine was terrible. I think DJ Augustine played too many minutes. i That's the one thing I would have made adjustment-wise for Bud is i you got to realize when DJ is bad and pull that ripcord and say whether it's adding Jordan norris to the mix and, and extending your rotation or it's just giving Holiday more minutes, giving DiVincenzo more minutes and giving Augustine less. He should have pulled that ripcord. There's no way Augustine should have been playing in the fourth quarter, but he was. And still doing the Pat Coynton thing late in the fourth quarter. Now, Pat Coynton made some really good plays. He had a big three. He had an amazing hustle play. So I don't wanna shit on Coynton too much, yet I still don't think that Coynton is is that dude, especially late in the game. Also, there's no reason Pat Coynton should be on Kevin Durant or James Harden late in the game. I think Dante can hang with James Harden. I know James Harden kind of tore him up and made a nice play, but that's that's just a, that's a superstar play. Like James Harden's a fucking good player, right? Like Dante Vincenzo can, did, did what he could. He stayed in front of James Harden. He played good defense. I'm not really concerned about Dante's defense against Harden, but in no fucking way possible should Kevin Durant and Pat Hinton be a matchup because Kevin Durant's gonna win that every day and twice on Sunday. So it's not... The worst loss in the world for the Bucks. I actually would say it's somewhat of a moral victory because they didn't play their best and they only lost by two. You gotta hopefully beat LA, and even if you lose to LA again, I'm not gonna freak out. It's a regular season. It's regular season. It's not that important. The postseason is really what matters. We're trying to do this as Bucks fans. And if they do beat the Lakers, though, I think that that's encouraging. That's a good sign for sort of where this team is developing. And I've also used the Dante rule, as I've called it now, is like 20 games. They have 20 to 25 games before I start really kind of drilling down on, here's what I need to see from this Bucs team. And we won't do those criticisms just yet. But yeah, it is a little concerning, I will say, of playoff teams the Bucs have faced so far, they I think have a losing record, right? They're one they were 1-1 against the Heat, 0 one against the Celtics, that's 1 and 2. 0 and they lost to the Nets who was we were, were a playoff team last year, so that is that's 1 and 3. They beat Dallas 2 and 3. So I think right now against uh playoff teams from last year and projected playoff teams from this year, the Bucks are 2 and 4. So that's Oh, I guess you're gonna add the magic to the list. So that would be three and four. So there's three and four so far against them. That's not terrible, but it's not great. And one of the things that made the Bucks good as a regular season team is they beat everybody. They didn't just beat, they didn't just beat, you know, the bottom feeders. They also beat good teams as well. So you'd like to see that record improve and hopefully it can as the season goes on. The the game against the Lakers is a tough one, not not an easy one for for your Milwaukee Bucks on Thursday. We'll obviously talk about that game uh, as the week goes on and then talk about it reaction-wise on Friday. Let's wrap up the show with sort of an interesting discussion around bars, Packer fans, and everything else. So there's a lot of heat right now going on in the Green Bay area about all the bars you know around Lambeau Field being packed. I think that's kind of a no shit, um, you know, sort of summary. You know, you you go to you might not tailgate and you go to a bar before a pack game. There were eight thousand people in Lambeau Field. Brown County does not necessarily get eight thousand people into that area typically on a COVID-19 Saturday or a non-Saturday. You also have to remember it was Saturday. So everybody had off Sunday. So I think there were more people probably in hotels or that were probably participating in a few more libations because it was a Saturday versus a Sunday. I, I think it really does matter. And the sort of public overreaction of all these people in the bars and saying, well, this is a super spreader or this is a significant issue is sort of falls flat for me because here's the thing. First of all, I've been of the belief through this entire COVID saga that it's your choice, that you need to make smart choices. If you feel like you can be smart and you can be safe at a bar, go and do it. If you feel like, hey, maybe this isn't the best thing for me, then don't go. Then say, all right, well, if I'm gonna go to the Packer game, let's just tailgate with my family and the people that I've kept in close contact with and that I know are safe. And then I'm gonna just, you know, eat brats and hang out with them outside and not go into a bar. And if yeah, if we want to go to a bar, let's mask up, but let's go into a corner so we're not around a bunch of people and let's just have beers there and make sure that we're wearing masks while we're while we're ordering. Because all the staff are masked up. Like the staff isn't masked up. I'd be shocked if they they weren't masked up. They they probably are. From my experience at bars recently, all those all those guys and girls are wearing masks. They're not they're not just you know freewilling it out here. Like when I was in Menominee Falls uh, before the holidays, and no one was wearing masks in the entire place, and I was like, fuck. Like this, like we, and like, we didn't really mean to, we were just uh, going for, uh, we had like this wedding thing and we got caught up and so we ended up at this bar and it was just stunning that nobody was rocking a mask. I would be kind of amazed if the, you know, the stadium view, the Njuizis, the bar, they weren't all, you know, masked up as employees. So they're not necessarily spreading COVID-19 around. The other thing to factor in is Brown County had a really high rate of COVID early on. Like in October, it was very bad in the Green Bay area. I'm not saying that it was a herd immunity level, but here's the thing. You've had a lot of people that have already had COVID-19 in that area. Add on to the fact that it is a... Tremendous area for healthcare workers. So you assume that a lot of people in the Brown County area have been vaccinated already. So you combined all of that and maybe it is not as much of a super spreader event as you think. Now, if in two weeks, we start seeing Brown County's COVID rates rise again, then yeah, we could point to the fact that maybe the bars were not careful enough. And that there was community spread more from the bars than exactly Lambeau Field. But we we don't know that yet. And I am not one to shame these bar owners into having people at their venues. I would assume that they are working on capacity levels set forth by the city. And the law enforcement has said like, look, we are not gonna regulate this unless the businesses say, hey, you need to come here and regulate. And no, none of these businesses are going to do this. All of these bars, Stadium View, Andrewsies, the bar, to name a few, have suffered significant losses this year. No city in the NFL world has suffered more than Green Bay, Wisconsin, maybe Buffalo, New York, given how fucked up the New York COVID laws have been all throughout this time. So maybe Buffalo is the only one. Maybe, and I wouldn't say LA because it's fucking LA. Green Bay is a small city. These are small business owners. These are people who are like you and I and who have been impacted the most. And they're just trying to keep the lights on. So for them to have the opportunity to have fans for two weeks in January to start their fiscal year 2021 is a massive lift. It is a tremendous lift for them. And so we should be happy for them. And yeah, if we wanna call these people idiots, sure. But I will hope that people you know, do their due diligence with all of this stuff. Look, I think we've gone long, we've gone long, long enough to know, hey, maybe there's an issue here. If I am congested, If I lose my smell, if I have fever, if I have body aches, if I lost my taste, I know that maybe I need to get tested for COVID and then tell the others around me like, hey, look, because I I mean, I went out on Saturday. I I had dinner at Pete's Pub. It was great. Shout out. And then I went to the I went to host and had beers and shots and fucking lived it up. I had a great time. I drank too much. I I was paying for it. I think I'm finally working my way out of a hangover. But again, I I know you know I got I know I gotta be careful this week. And I know like hey, if I start feeling shitty and I start feeling like maybe there's something here, then I need to get myself looked at. And I'm not gonna and, and I'm not gonna be like oh wow, Charlie, you got dunked on. You went to the bar and you got COVID. You get COVID from anywhere. I get COVID for pumping gas, or I go to church class every week. I could get it there, right? Like I don't know. It's it, it, it's an it's a tough it's a tough thing to deal with. And yeah, I'm I'm increasing my risk a little bit, but I, at the same time, I'm not going to just live in fear. Just not going to do it. And I think we've gone far long enough. And I think that, as I mentioned, I think there are more more and more people that are vaccinated and that continue to get vaccinated. And we need to support these small businesses. And so in my mind, what I was doing on Saturday was not only going out to have fun with my friend, but also to support small business here here in Milwaukee. And that's just my opinion. And you could think completely different and you could be like, Charlie, you're a fucking idiot. That's fine. I I appreciate the the feedback, but I I also think that there's nothing wrong with sort of you know live, living your life. Have a good one, and I will uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Uh, we'll do another daily tap. Uh, who knows what topics uh, shall we bring? But we will we'll have fun. Maybe we'll uh, bring that ticket segment that I I've been stewing on. Might be a good time for that one uh, if we need some need some filler. Um, and who knows? Maybe we'll get a good Chuck story and we'll get a Chuck's corner out of this as well. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye.